Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. Let's go to the Word of God. We're going to read for context before we get into our primary text. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 3. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 3 reads, For when they say, two weeks in a row we have that word, they. So the fundamental question, when you see that in Scripture, you ought to want to know, who are they? For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. What's coming upon them, I pray, never comes upon us. But first, who are they? If you read 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul makes it clear, they are the children of darkness. But he said, you are children of light. So that day shouldn't catch you unaware or by surprise. And that's why I believe God has us focused on discerning the time so that we know what time it is. But in this text, it says they, the children of darkness, when they're comfortable and when they say there's peace and safety, I've got everything I need, things are good, suddenly... Destruction comes just as labor pains, and they shall not escape. The good thing, the good news, if you're in God, is that God always gives a way to escape to his people. There is no temptation that shall befall you, but God will give you a way of escape. So they are not like us, and we are not like them. But here is, this is a setup for our primary text. What is our responsibility? We are debt free. Just this morning, the Spirit was ministering to me saying, you're debt free, spiritually debt free, because there was a, we had a debt that we owed that none of us could pay, and Jesus paid in full that debt. So spiritually, every one of us is debt free. To be in debt is to be in bondage because the borrower is servant to the lender, and so it is in the spirit. I hope you understand. You can discern what the spirit is saying. But even if I'm debt free, I can make choices that cause me to be in bondage. What am I talking about? I am debt-free in the natural, but I decide to steal. I don't have to steal, but I make a choice to steal, and I get caught. What's going to happen? I'm going to go in bondage, not because of the debt I'm debt-free, but because I made a choice that caused me as a consequence to go into bondage. And my heart cries for a generation that gets so comfortable that everything is justifiable. That we frustrate 
the grace of God. I'm not saying that that is your testimony. I'm communicating this word so that will never be your testimony. When you're debt free, stay debt free. Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Paul said that to the saints at Galatia because he saw them becoming entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Your people who were debt free were getting entangled with bondage. Let's go to our text. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to chunk it up a little bit and hear the word scripture, interpret scripture. And so that's why I choose to use the word of God to communicate what God is saying. It's never about opinion or philosophy. It's his word. His word is true. Second Chronicles 15, 1 through 6, we'll read first. It reads, now the spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, hear me, Asa. We've been talking about, or Asa, we've been talking about hearing. And all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord, listen to this, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Let's pause for a moment. The prophet is speaking to the king of Judah, and he's speaking to the people of God. It's something that all people of God know, but he's communicating the law of reciprocity. Or another way to say it is the law of sowing and reaping. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever we sow, that shall we also reap. And he's saying to them that the Lord is with you as long as you're with him. He will be with, he'll never leave you, nor will he ever forsake you. But as a free moral agent, as one with free will, you can leave him. And the prophet, God sent the prophet to remind the people, don't leave him. He won't leave you, don't you leave him. They were a generation that had become sluggish. He says, for a long time, Israel has been without the true God. It's interesting, has been without the true God. They haven't been without a God, but they've been without the true God. Without a teaching priest, and without law. But when in their trouble, they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. Let's pause on this verse just for a moment. Often, 
when trouble comes into the world, when trouble comes into a life, when trouble comes into a community, it is generally ascribed to the devil. Whenever there is trouble, whenever there is anything, the, the inclination, the human instinct is to say, that's of the devil. But God uses trouble for a purpose. On, when 9-11 happened, there were more people in America praying than at any other time. And people were sincere. When trouble comes, people run to God. At the beginning of COVID, I've never seen the world pray so much. I saw people in Brazil worshiping. I saw military people singing praises to God. I saw people in Spain in the public square on their faces in Kenya. All over the world, people were calling out and crying out to God. Today, in Ukraine, as bombs are falling, I saw on YouTube, in the public square, a choir singing. They're singing. They're not in some bunker hiding. They're calling on God because they know in the time of trouble, he shall hide me. He shall hide me in the secret place. In his pavilion, he shall hide me. God has a purpose for trouble. Sometimes when the people of God get too comfortable, we forget about God. But when trouble comes, we run to God. And the, and the prophet is saying, when in their trouble, they turned to the Lord of God of Israel, even though they were worshiping idols, even though they forsook the God who brought them up out of Egypt. When they turned to him and sought him, he was found by them. I would to God that even in times of comfort, we would pursue him. As the deer pants for the water, so our soul thirsts for you, God. In a dry place, we need you to be the water for our soul. God, we need you in all things and in all time. This generation cries out to you. For a long time, Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. But when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. And in those times, there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in. But great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the lands. So nation was destroyed by nation and city by city. Listen to this. For God troubled them with every adversity. When I hear the word adversity, the root of that is adversary. That's why it's natural to think if trouble comes, it's got to come from the adversary. But sometimes the lover of your soul is running after you. Sometimes his goodness, when it's running after me, Nick, it shows up in the form of trouble because he knows that will cause me to run, to run after him. I want you to see a picture of two lovers running towards each other. 
That's what is created in the spirit. When trouble comes, we run after God. The God who's been running after us, he'll run after you. His goodness is running after you. That's why David said, all the days of my life, goodness and mercy shall follow me. But there are times in my ease, there are times in my comfort that I don't take the time to turn around to see the goodness because I think goodness is in front of me, but it's running after me. It's chasing after me. And God has to cause me to stop, to pump the brakes so I can recognize the goodness of God. And sometimes he uses trouble. He uses trouble. His people had turned their back on him. His people were worshiping idols. They were still his people, but their focus was in the wrong place. And the way he got them back is that he troubled them with every adversity. We read in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 3 that when they say peace and safety, God, in this context with his people, took away peace. He took away peace because he knows that when they're in trouble, they're going to come to me because they know they can count on me. They know with a strong arm, I'll deliver them. I've got a history with them. When you have a history with God, you know you can depend on him. And when God desires his people, he wants us, he's a jealous God. He doesn't want us to have any other lover but him. He expects fidelity. And when there are things that enter in to a culture, I'm talking about the culture of the people of God, Israel, were the people of God who received the word from angels. They received the word of God on Mount Sinai. And yet, before Moses came down the mountain, they were already forsaken God. And they never got out of the wilderness. That generation for 40 years wandered, and they never received the promise of God. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. He said, if they who received the word from angels neglected their first estate and they wandered for 40 years and never came out, he said, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? God always gives you and me a way to escape. But it's up to us to run after him like he runs after us. Do you know what time it is? I'm talking about discerning the times because the times for us are akin to what they were with Israel. And God wants his people, God wants his people to love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Let's go a little bit further. Second Chronicles 15, 7 and 8, the next two verses say, And when Asa heard these words 
and the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage. I pray that somebody would take courage today and remove the abominable idols. Now, keep the verse up. When he heard the word of God from the prophet of God, he took courage. What is the evidence that he took courage? He took action. When you take courage, you take action. See, fear torments. It's the opposite of courage, and it paralyzes you. He took courage, and he removed the abominable idols. He heard the word of God. He recognized they weren't walking in the word, and he said, there's no teaching priest. We are not covered. We haven't followed God. We've walked away from him. All the stuff that's permeated our culture, all the things that have distracted us from God, all the things that have led us away from God, on my watch as king, I've allowed this stuff to be so because what happens is there is something that comes over the land when the culture is consumed. And we live in a culture of hyper-consumerism, of humanism, of all those things that don't glorify God. And if we're not careful, just as the people of God, everything that's written in the Old Testament, the Bible says is written for our learning and for our admonition. It's for us to be instructed. And if and every generation faces the same challenge because there's a, we have an adversary who's walking about like as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And spiritually, Israel at this time had fallen asleep. There's a colleague of mine years ago, really, really smart guy. He was a physician. He has patents to his name. He discovered some really uh, breakthrough medicines. Very, very bright. He was a son of Abraham. I, I befriended him. He befriended me. I was much younger than him. Um, but he was brilliant. His brother was a cardiologist, also brilliant. And he would sit up in the front at meetings, big meetings, senior executives are sitting up there, and he would fall asleep. He would fall asleep. And one day we were having a conversation. His name was, um, I won't say his name. He might hear this someday and say, why are you telling people my stuff? The person uh, would sit there, and one day I went to him, and I said, why do you always sit up front and you're sleeping? It's like, how can you fall asleep? You're going to get fired. And he didn't smile. He looked at me, and he said, I can't help it. I have narcolepsy. And I, then I realized, ah, you have a condition but you still shouldn't sit up front. <laughs> sit in the back, bro. That's not a good look. That's not a good look. But here's what I learned, and this is why this story is relevant. When he goes up, he feels fine. He doesn't expect that he's gonna fall asleep. And 100% of the time, I'm talking about one of those 
head bobbing, you know, you are out of it kind of things. And then he's done, he's out, he's out. And in a corporate setting, that's not a good look. That's not a good look. But here's the thing, because of the grip that narcolepsy has on him, he doesn't know he's asleep until he wakes up. There was a spiritual narcolepsy over Israel. I pray to God that narcoleptic spirit would never impact the people of God in this generation. I too have been so tired on an airplane before COVID when I traveled a lot that I didn't know I was asleep until I woke up. That's the thing about falling asleep when you are not intending to go to sleep. When I plan to go to sleep, I know that I'm asleep and that if I'm dreaming, it's a dream. But when I fall asleep, unawares and that's what happens spiritually I hope you're hearing me I hope you can hear what the spirit is saying to the church there's a narcoleptic spirit that falls on you and you don't even know that's why God had to send the prophet because they didn't know that what they were doing was outside the will of God when they were going to worship Baal they thought they were worshiping God they had gotten so out of step with God they didn't even know the God who brought them out they were sleep I pray that none of us would be found on the front row asleep. When heaven is watching, the stakes are higher than corporate executives watching. All they can do is take away your job. But heaven is watching. Don't fall asleep. This is not a time to fall asleep. It's high time that we awake out of sleep because now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. The people of God did not even know they had strayed that far from God. But the good news is that God knew the heart of the leader and he knew the heart of the people. And when Asa heard the word of God, he took courage and he took action and he began to tear that stuff down. And I want you to know it's not enough to tear the old stuff down. You got to build the waste places. You got to build the altar of God back up. You got to take away that other stuff and put God in there because if you leave it empty, it's going to be filled with something. It's going to be filled with something. You may as well fill it with God. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Let's keep reading here. Oded the prophet, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin. Judah and Benjamin. All these names mean something. We're going to go to it briefly in a moment. And from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim, and he restored the altar of the Lord 
that was before the vestibule of the Lord. He restored the altar of the Lord so the people can go back in the presence of the Lord. Then he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those who dwelt with them from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon. For they came over to him in great numbers from Israel when they saw that the Lord, his God, was with him. Now, he had been king already, and we'll see that in a minute, for years. Why didn't they come before? Because now they see something. They see by his actions that God is his God. This other stuff we were doing, that's not God. I see something different. I would to God that people would see something on you that's so different that they said the Lord, his God, was with them. I want to be with you because God is with you. I want God to be with me and because God is your God, it's like Ruth said to Naomi, your God is going to be my God. Your people is going to be my people. There's a joining that happens when the people of God gather together. Every one of those names are not just names. They communicate something. The first name that comes up is Judah. What is Judah? I'm looking at the praise team. Judah is praise. And the day after the day that Joshua died, the people of Israel were concerned. They said, who's going to go up with us? Moses is dead. Joshua is dead. God says, send Judah up. You praise me and I'll take care of everything. If you praise God, I'll take care of your business. Don't, you don't have to worry about something. Send Judah. So the first one that was called was Judah. Somebody ought to give God a praise. I promise you, if you praise God, the stuff you're worrying about won't trouble you no more. He'll part your Red Sea. He'll take away your pain. Give God praise. Send Judah up. When you don't know what to do, send Judah. Let Judah go first. So the first was praise God. Give God praise. I'm glad I got some praising folk in the house. Y'all gonna help me preach if, I'm not, if you're not careful. Then after that, the next one was Benjamin. He said, don't forget the youth. Benjamin was the last of the tribe, of the youngest. He said, I, I need people to come together and praise and make sure you don't forget the youth. I hope you hear God saying to this generation, don't forget about the youth. When you gather together, when you come together, let Judah go first, but make sure, ben make sure Benjamin is with you. And then Ephraim and Manasseh, two half-tribes. Remember last week when we talked about Gideon and the angel and the Lord himself called him a man of valor. He said, I'm from the half-tribe of Manasseh. God, I'm not even whole. 
God is saying to somebody who thinks that you don't measure up, that you don't have what it takes, he called Manasseh and Ephraim and gathered them with Israel like everybody else. You are, you need to learn to say, I am what God says I am. I'm more than a conqueror. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's nothing hard for the God that you serve. You may think yourself to be small. You may see yourself as a grasshopper in your own eyes, but God says, I'm bigger, I'm greater. If I am in you, who can be against you? If God be for you, who can be against you. He called the half-tribes together to make them whole. He said, I'll make you whole. God is saying, will you be made whole? Somebody type, somebody needs to be encouraged. You shall be made whole. Today is your day to be made whole. He called praise forth. He called the youth and then the half-tribes of Ephraim. Ephraim and Manasseh. And then he calls Simeon. This is an interesting one, Ravella. He calls Simeon. What is the significance? I said earlier that scripture interprets scripture. In the 49th chapter of Genesis, there are three verses, five through seven. This is when Jacob was about to die. And he called his sons together and said, put your, each one of them, put your hand under my thigh. And he began to prophesy to them. And he began to speak to them. And he began to communicate not only their life, but the generations and their tribes and what they represented. And here's what he said to Simeon. Because Simeon and Levi were angry because someone slept with their sister and they said is our sister a harlot are you making our sister a harlot in Israel and that brother they they took him out and here's what Jacob said this is him prophesying Simeon's hand is under his thigh he said Simeon and Levi are brothers instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place Verse 6, let not my soul enter their counsel. Can you imagine? Here is the father of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the father of the tribes. And he said, don't let my counsel, don't let my soul enter their counsel. He is pretty much saying, I'm separating myself from you. Let not my honor be united. See, you can tell it's not just them. To their assembly. Anybody who comes out of this line, my honor is not going to be with them. There are some of you who you feel like in your bloodline, you are dishonored. You're the black sheep. Let's keep reading. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will, self-will. They didn't have to do it. Their sister had 10 other brothers. None of them did it. 
It hurt them, but you and yourself will hamstrung an ox. Verse 7, the last verse. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. He didn't curse them, but he cursed their anger. They had an anger management issue. And their wrath, for it is cruel. Here's what I want you to hear. I will divide them in Jacob. Here's where we get to the season that we're in. I will divide them in Jacob. Who's Jacob? Israel. And scatter them in Israel. And scatter them in Israel. Here are people who prophetically, from the mouth of their father, the patriarch of the tribes, the patriarch of Israel, the one whom the nation is named after, They've been banished. They've been excommunicated. Yet on this day, when the people of God came back and gathered together, Simeon was among them. I see the grace of God in that. God is calling somebody back. He's saying, I know that you've been scattered. You've been scattered. He said, and scatter them among Israel. You've been scattered, but now I'm gathering you. I'm gathering you back into the fold. There is a time of gathering of those who've been scattered. Jesus said, whoever's not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters abroad. Scatters abroad. Those have been scattered. He's saying, I'm gathering you now. I'm gathering you and I'm gathering you so that you can gather. He gathers us so that we can gather others. Those who are with Jesus never scatter. He said, if you're with me, you don't scatter. But if you're against me, you scatter. The scatterers are always against Jesus. What God is saying to this tribe is come back to the fold. I'm gathering you. I'm calling you back. He's a God who's married to the backslider. Those sheep who stray, he comes after you. His goodness is running after you. It's running after you. All you have to do is turn around. Behold his goodness. He's running after you. He loves you with an everlasting love. Simeon, come back home. Simeon, I got you. I know you've been wandering. I know you feel like like an outcast. I know that you've been put down. Your own father has put you down. But don't you know that I'm a God that when your father and mother forsake you, I'm there to take you up. Simeon, come on back. It's time for you to be gathered. It's time to gather with the people of God. You're no longer an outcast. You're no longer an outcast. You've been out there long enough. I know it's, it hurts. I know your pain. I feel your pain, but I've come to heal you today. I've come to bring you back. I've come to gather you. You don't have to be alone. You don't have to be out there. I'm going to take care of you and Simeon. I'm going to give you a new heart. That anger you had, I'm going to take care of it. You're going to be meek and lowly. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to gather you together. As a mother hen gathers their chicks, I'm going to gather you under my wings. 
I'm going to hide you under the shadow of my wings. There's a secret place I have for you, Simeon. No need to worry. Let's go to the last set of verses. Second Chronicles 15, 10 through verse 15. I want the first four words are important. So they gathered together. Say that with me in the building. So they gathered together. God made it very clear to me, son, everybody who gathers is not together. Everybody who gathers is not together. He said, but the day is coming when I'm going to gather my people together. I'm going to gather my people together. That's what it was like in the upper room when they were all together in one place, on one accord, the Spirit of God was able to rush in. These people, before they heard the word from the prophet, they would gather, but they would gather on the mountain. They would go up to worship Baal, and they thought they were worshiping God, but this time, the gathering is different. So they gathered together, and they gathered at Jerusalem. Jerusalem represents the house of God. It's the apple of God's eye. It's where the people dwell and where God dwells. So they gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the 15th year of the reign of Asa. Asa had been king for 15 years, and the people never saw God in him until that day. When they saw God in him, they all came to him. God makes you attractive. He makes us attractive. And they offered to the Lord at that time 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep from the spoil they had brought. They had tenfold more sheep than bulls. Part of it is because of the size different. But when a lamb, when a sheep is sacrificed, there's something redemptive about that blood. And they realized that that day they had been redeemed. And look at what happens. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. They realized that what they were seeking before wasn't God. And they said, we're going to now make a covenant while we're gathered together. Next verse. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. 
seems, seems pretty cruel, but they weren't doing it to be mean. They were saying, we're gonna make certain that this time we're gonna see, we're gonna be clean. We're gonna purge ourselves of anything that is not like him. And if you don't mean it, you shouldn't be here to take this covenant. We're all in it together. Verse 14. Then, so they had a covenant, and then what did they do? They took an oath, not just before the king, not just before each other, took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns. Next verse, last verse. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul, and he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. Let's bring this full circle. The same God who troubled them with adversity is revealing his purpose. I troubled you because I wanted to give you rest. Without me, there is no rest. I hear the Lord saying, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Take action, take courage, and then do something. Learn of me, for I, and meek and lowly of heart. And you shall find rest for your soul. For every restless soul, for every restless spirit, you can't seem to find rest. You can sleep for 12 hours and you're still restless. You're not tired, you're restless. There's a difference between being tired and being restless. If you're restless, you can be tired and can't go to sleep. Has anybody ever experienced restlessness? That means the absence of rest. I don't care how much you sleep, you still can't find rest. I don't care how tired you are, you still can't find rest. The people of Israel in that generation had trouble and no rest. God is saying, I am the, the Lord is saying, I'm the answer to restlessness. Restlessness makes you anxious. It leads to anxiety and all these other things that then begin to manifest physically. And so God is saying, this is a time of gathering. 
of gathering together, together. I have not seen in quite a while the people of God being so together. And when I say together, I'm talking about black, white, Jew, Gentile, Asian, all types of male, female, together. Not same denomination, not same church, not same doctrine, but the same burning love for Jesus Christ. And it brings people who are different together on a common ground because we're standing on a rock, on a rock that's stable, on a rock that is here to stay, on a rock that the truth is built on. This is the beginning of gathering together. Not in silos, not in steeples, not in places that you claim as your own and I claim as my own. It's where the people of God together say we belong to him and he belongs to us. And that's all that matters. He bought me with a price I'm not even my own. So what do I claim except him? What do I have except him? Simeon, God is calling you. He wants to gather you. Benjamin, God is saying you're not forsaken. Benjamin, the youth. And he's saying to his people everywhere, send Judah and I'll take care of the rest. I'll show you what you must do when you send Judah. There are some of you out there today who are in, in some instances, multiple categories that have been communicated by the word of God today. I want you, like the people who gathered together, to make up your mind. And if you're Simeon, come back. Text to decision. Somebody will be there waiting to pray with you, to pray for you, to agree with you. If you have been under the spiritual cloud of narcolepsy and you just woke up, the Word of God just woke you up, and you didn't even know you were asleep until you woke up, I want you to text to decision. He's waiting for you. His goodness has been running after you all this time. But now that you're awake, you know it. When you awake, you come to consciousness. Your awareness is restored. When you sleep and don't even know you're asleep, you walk about and do things that you know not of. God doesn't want to be disruptive. When I was younger, I used to sleepwalk, and my mother would tell me about it. I thought it was strange. My father was a little less tolerant. And one night, I was sleepwalking. I had no idea, and I opened the refrigerator, 
and that must have been a red line for him. And he started to be physical with me, to wake me up, to snap me out of it. And it was more than disruptive, it was traumatic. I still remember it till this day. There's a way to wake people out of sleep. And it's not with force. It's not with condemnation. There are no red lines. This is a God of love who expects fidelity. And if we seek him, we'll be found of him. He's righteous. And even those who he gives a way to escape, his word says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So he's equipping his saints and gathering us together. He's separating the sheep from the goats, even now, because in the last day, when he judges the nations, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And to somebody, Debbie, he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. People who say, I prophesied in your name. I cast out devils in your name. And he's going to say, I never knew you. They thought they knew him, but their heart wasn't with them. They were sleepwalking. He said, I never knew you. We never had real intimacy. We never had a real relationship. You never really talked to me about the things that mattered. You talked to everybody else, but you ignored me. You did what you did for yourself, for your own name and fame. And you had results, but you had no relationship. What God wants his people to learn and the reason we're able to gather, I believe, and we're going to gather more, is because it's not about religion. It's about relationship. It's about relationship. Religion is divisive. It's divisive. It divides Jew and Gentile. If I'm a Christian and you're a Jew, I've had good God-fearing Christian friends who blame the Jews for everything, who actually hate. It's as if they hate them because they haven't received Jesus. And I believe it's the will of God that those of us who've been grafted onto the vine love them so much that we say, Lord, open their eyes. They're looking for a Messiah that's already come. God, don't let him come again and catch them looking. That's the heart of God. If the promises that God made to Israel are not so, how can we trust him? His promises to them are original. The gospel of Jesus Christ is to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Why am I saying this? Religion divides us, but relationship changes our heart. It transforms our spirit. It caused the love of God to be so manifest that like Asa, when people see that your God is with you,
They want to gather. They want to come together. The reason the gathering has been limited is because people are not seeing the love of God, especially the young people. They see divisiveness. They see condemnation. They see judgment. God will get righteousness out of us when he is in us because he is our righteousness. And because I know that I'm debt free because of what he's done, my heart goes out to those who are blind. I want them to see. I want them to know this God because he's the only hope. And the day is coming when time is going to be up. Time's going to be up. And be between now and then, we must work the work of him that sent us. So text to decision, he desires, I hope you can sense the heart of God, he desires to have a people who are gathered together, people who he gathers. There's always going to be enemies that creep in under, unaware, but I'm talking about the people that God is gathering. I don't know about you, but I want to be in that number. I don't want to be knocking on the door saying give me some oil give me some oil give me some oil i'm gonna keep my lamp trimmed and burning i don't want somebody to say to me go get your own oil keep oil in your lamp father i pray for your people everywhere that this word is heard that you would draw us nearer that you would draw us nearer, draw us so close into your bosom that we can hear your heartbeat. Draw us so close that we become attractive, that when other people see that our God is with us, they're going to want to know you better. May the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your people both now and forevermore. God, change us. Transform us. Don't let us fall asleep. Don't let us fall asleep. We rebuke and rebind that narcoleptic spirit that hovers over your people brood over us brood over us the one who neither slumbers nor sleep we call on you bless us now and make us a blessing in Jesus name Amen Thank you for joining us in service today we pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.